0: Well hey everyone and welcome to another edition of Overtime. This is our weekly podcast where we get to do a little bit deeper dive into the message. Mm -hmm. This week Christian brought the message to us so we get to dive in a little bit deeper with him. So glad that he's here. Um, And yeah so welcome to episode 81. So glad that you're here with us. We hope that you are challenged and encouraged. If you're checking us out online. Don't forget, you can kind of submit your questions through there, or if you can't catch us live um, via our website, or Facebook, or whatever platform you're on, you can also catch catch us on our website. Uh, You can also submit your questions before or after. We'll get those questions. We do have several questions that we're going to get to today. Mm -hmm. But before we do that, we always like to give you an announcement, kind of let you know what's happening within the life of the church. And what I want to kind of draw your attention to is that starting this past Sunday on May 2nd, we are now offering a in-person maskless option. So what that means is that as you come, we would still ask that you wear your mask as you come inside, as you're walking about the building. Please continue. You to wear your mask but if you are interested in viewing the service without a mask if you go to our balcony area you once you're seated can actually go ahead and take your mask off you probably can't hear it but there's a little noise coming from my yeah, computer it's been talking it just you. threw me off i yeah. was like i heard my <laughs> voice uh, anyway so yeah if you are interested in viewing in person without a mask you can now do that from our balcony A few weeks ago, we had a vision video. You can check it out, clcfamily.church/vision. You can watch kind of all of the how and the logistics of that, including like the air filter system that we have. It's pretty uh, detailed. All of that is, yeah, it's Uh about a 40-minute video Uh to watch the full-length one. So you can catch that out there. But if you're just bottom line, Looking for a place where you can be a part of the church service in person without a mask. We now got you in, uh, the, in the balcony. You can join us and be a part of that. So yeah, we're I would add,
1: that. I'd recommend you come earlier because it filled up a good bit. Did it? This Sunday. I, yeah. I'm
0: always outside. I was yeah, he's outside, the going, but, but I was
1: down on stage this week. Yeah, it fills up. There's a lot of uh, people who are really wanting to engage in that way. And so yeah. if that's you... Um, wouldn't hurt to come a couple minutes early just to get your spot and your section uh, reserved so yeah
0: Yeah. so so we'd love to have you if you're looking for a place as always there's several different options there's in person Mm -hmm. now with mask or without mask. Mm-hmm. There is the drive-in option, and then there's the online option. So if you want more information, check out our website, or you can text us. We'd love to get you information. So with that, I'm yeah. gonna kind of turn it over. What we usually do is I'll ask you to give us kind of a yeah. recap. This was week three of the series that we've been in called I'm In, um, but even bigger than that, this is like week, I don't know, 40, 50? Uh, Lost count. It's somewhere, not even counting anymore. Yeah, of the book of Luke. Yeah. So we're now in Luke well, in
1: chapter nine. Chapter nine.
0: <laughs> Yeah, we're, we're in the middle of nine. So we've been in Luke for a while and we'll continue to be in Luke for a while. So do you want to give us kind of a, a recap of what we sure. talked about on Sunday?
1: Yeah, yeah. So uh, as Ben mentioned, we're in this series, I'm In, which, uh, you know, is a saying that we say a lot of times when we want to participate in something. Maybe, you know, our friends are going to, for example, do disc golf or, you know, right here at the church or they're wanting to do softball. Uh, usually we'll, we'll chatter amongst ourselves and they'll be like, hey, I'm doing this, you want to join? And they say, I'm in, right? I'm game. I wanna participate. I don't wanna miss out on this. And so, we've been in this series called I'm In for the past few weeks. Josh started us off those first two weeks. Uh, And one thing that I really appreciated uh, is that he talked about, hey, um, we're talking about being involved in this movement, being involved in the action of God. You know, we are wanting to participate in what it is that God is doing, not only in the church, but in the world, right? And so uh, he actually started, and you guys probably talked about this in the previous episodes of Overtime, uh, kind of these key ingredients or these identifiers for big movements, right? If you look at any major movement, it most likely will have some of these ingredients. And I can't remember the missiologist that he was quoting. Oh
0: man, I'm terrible. I I don't think I wrote it down either.
1: Yeah, so we didn't like coin these things, but he's Kind of quoting a missiologist, someone who studies missions, uh, to share. Hey, every movement, most major movements, have these ingredients. So he talked about white hot faith two weeks ago in uh, the story of the feeding of the five thousand. Right, this faith that um, it can't coexist with complacency. It, it it forces you almost to move to do something different. White hot faith. And then uh, last week, uh, I think he talked about. Let me see if I can remember got in my notes. The second uh, week of this series he uh, talked about being committed to a cause, right? And uh, he told the story of when Jesus was prophesying about his death, right? Um, And so it's this idea of being committed to the cause in the midst of great hardship and trial, right? Imagine being a disciple following Jesus and then all of a sudden he's like, yeah, I'm going to go to Jerusalem and die, right? You're like, okay, why did I waste my time following (laughs) you, right? And so he tries to give them assurance. He encourages them be committed to this cause because I will come back to life, right? And he even talks a little bit about, you know, um, what it means to follow Christ, right, uh, and it was, that was the kind of the instruction or, you know, if you want to gain your life, um, yeah. then you have to give it up, right, really kind of almost paradoxical statement there. So if you want to learn more about those, I'd encourage you go check out Josh's sermons from a couple weeks ago, Um but this week we talked about the third ingredient for a major movement, the third identifier, which is contagious relationships. Yeah. Um, and we talked about this really, really profound experience. I would say, you know, as as we've been working through the book of Luke. Um, we've grown this understanding or come to this understanding that the book is uh, intended to give people certainty, right? Especially people in the first century who are facing oppression uh, and persecution. They need some assurance. They need some certainty. And so this text, um, this reflection provided by Luke would hopefully give that to them. And I said this from stage this weekend. I don't think there's any story um, that is uh, better at providing certainty than the story of the transfiguration, which is where we were at this yeah. weekend in Luke chapter 9 uh, verses 28 to 36 and it's this incredible story of Jesus a um, uh, Jesus doing two things one revealing that he is God right he's not and we'll probably jump into this in more depth, but an overview is he's better than Moses. He's better than Elijah. He's actually God. And so um, that should give the disciples some certainty and assurance that you know they left everything to follow Christ. It's a good thing. They can have insurance and confidence that they made the right decision, um, that they can continue to be all in, right? Uh, and then the second thing it does is Jesus not only reveals that he is God um, and and gives the disciples assurance to be all in, right? He also teaches them how to be all in, right? Everything Jesus does, He's modeling for us, not only teaching, but modeling through his actions. And so Jesus here is modeling what it, what does it look like to be all in. Uh, and he models what a contagious relationship looks like. And so what he does is he lets people in his inner circle. He practices vulnerable community, which is really a lot of fun to talk about, right? It's a lot of fun to talk about being vulnerable, and it's like, you know, idealistic to say, yeah, like, that's so great. But actually when the rubber meets the road, it's a really difficult thing to do, to practice vulnerable community. So Jesus models that in the story of the transfiguration um, and and teaches his disciples and I'd say he teaches us um, what it looks like to engage in contagious relationships because that's a big marker of what the church should be. That should be something that sets the church apart. And So that's kind of like a 30,000 foot view yeah, without yeah. jumping too in depth. Uh, so, with that.
0: And one of the things that we always say and just always encourage you to do this is that if you haven't already listened to the message always start there. What yeah. we hope is that this is a continuation of that conversation and maybe we can get a little bit deeper or or go, uh, you know, a few more places, whether that would be, hey, tell us something funny you didn't share on Sunday yeah, yeah. or if that's just something, hey, something that was in your notes didn't quite make the cut. Yeah. So I, I used to say this with Christian, but he didn't understand, but I would always say something that didn't make the cutting room floor. Yeah, yeah. And, and Christian was like, That's a weird saying hadn't...
1: that older people say. Yeah, I think probably most
0: you. of our listeners understand that phrase. Yeah, I don't know. I but don't whatever. Know. He's young, My wife young, did
1: and I didn't and I don't think my students do so yeah I'm I'm the old youth pastor
0: he's the young one anyway so yeah so I do want to kind of jump into that and we'll kind of go verse by verse and talk talk through that if that works we do have a couple questions that I want to be able to get to as well Um, but one of the things let's just kind of jump in maybe with this story so (laughs) you were kind of using this passage and also paralleling it with a experience that you had yeah um that was a pretty cool experience if you didn't watch uh online or if you were here in person um if you haven't seen this video you should probably watch the message just even to see the pretty cool experience and then to hear that kind of conversation if you were here in the driving option sorry that you missed half of that or most of that but it is posted online so you can see that still um so what made you want to use this story, like the the connection? And I'm yeah. also very curious. I feel like I want to dive deeper into <laughs> that story. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because I feel like there's got to be more there.
1: Yeah, I so yeah, you're totally right. There is. Um So yeah, I, I was just kind of thinking. I was talking with Josh a few weeks back, and he's like, "Hey, you're gonna be teaching on the Transfiguration." I'm like, okay, this is cool. You know, this is a story of an incredible encounter. And I think I mentioned on Sunday, sometimes we become desensitized to what we read. We've read the story before. And we're like, oh, like, that's cool. Jesus' face lit up. um, Yeah, it just
0: changed. Yeah, Yeah.
1: right? Like NBD, which uh, (laughs) I said that on Sunday. NBD means no big deal. Uh, Some people were asking me about that. What's NBD mean? So forgive me, that's the youth pastor and me coming out. Uh, Usually uh, usually my congregation or my people are very familiar with those. But I want to be mindful that... um, not everyone is, and that's okay. So, um, so yeah, we are usually we're like, oh, it's no big deal. Like Jesus' face lit up. Actually, that's a pretty big deal, right? Um, I don't want us to become desensitized to the wonder and the uh, uh, you know these incredible encounters in Scripture. And so, what I tried to do is, um, as I was uh, pulling together the sermon, I thought of, oh gosh, like. I, I was trying to think of my life. When did I have an incredible encounter? Like something that um, something that left me in awe and wonder, right? And I think that's helpful for us sometimes when we're reading scripture to look at a point in our lives, right? And, and figure out, hey, have I ever had an incredible encounter? And could that help me appreciate and have awe and wonder for this story right here so I don't become desensitized to it? And so I remember this really cool encounter I had with my favorite band. Uh, uh, are they still your favorite band? They are still my favorite okay. band. In fact, okay. I, uh, I, um, I write I book. I ride a motorcycle, and that's all I blast. It's really loud. If I'm not blasting the Hamilton soundtrack on the motorcycle, I'm blasting Switchfoot. And so Switch is my favorite band. And so I was telling this story this last uh, weekend um, about this time where I actually got to play on stage with them. and uh, as I was kind of studying this passage, I was like, wow, like this is interesting because not everybody gets to experience their favorite band in that mm-hmm. way, right? Not everybody gets to to play the song that they've loved listening to growing up. And so I got to play the song with them called Stars for like, it was 15, 30 seconds of playing with them. Um, but it's interesting because they invited me into a space where they don't invite everybody, right? Yeah. Um they invited me onto the stage to play this song. Uh, if they never met me. Never, I mean, I've met them in passing before, but they never like they didn't interview me. Say, hey, do you know it? Do you want to rehearse it? Like. It was just they brought me on stage, and uh, it was funny. I was talking. They they had me talk with the electric guitarist while John was kind of taking care of the crowd. Right, right. Uh, and uh, and I was talking with Drew, and he's like, "Hey, so this is what we're gonna play." And I had like no clue what was happening. I wasn't paying any attention. And so I just said back, like, "Just like the CD, right? Like that's what we're doing here, right?" And he said, "Yes." I was like, "Okay." <laughs> Thank God you said yes, because I wouldn't know what I'd be doing, right? Um, And so they invited me into this moment, and I got to participate and engage with this band in a way that seldom, uh, you know, people will get the chance to do that. And I just thought, you know, that's what Christ is doing with the disciples. That's what Christ does with us, is He is inviting us. Um, he's inviting us into this intimate, deep encounter, right? That's a vulnerable spot to be in. Like, I could have gone on there and totally, like, screwed up the whole thing. Like, I screwed up a part of it, but I could have been horrible. And that could have looked really bad for the band. And that could have hurt, like, you know, maybe the ratings. I don't know, right? Um, But it could have been a really bad thing. But they um, took a gamble, right? They were vulnerable (laughs) and welcomed me into that space um, to play with them. And and, and Christ modeled that for us right here in the Transfiguration because he... Um, lets people experience him in a way that you know yeah. no one ever got the chance to um, and he was uh, vulnerable with them and we could talk about that in a bit but I just thought you know um, I, don't wanna lo- I don't want to lose I don't want the story to lose its awe and wonder it shouldn't every time we read yeah. it we should slow down enough to feel the impact of it and imagine what it would have been like to be a disciple in that moment because I think the um I don't know the curse that we experience, or the uh, the the burden that I think a lot of times we experience. And we don't know it is that we just read something. And we're like, oh yeah, that's just Jesus yeah. being Jesus. But let's not like go to that place. Let's just remember, like this is incredible. Like this is a profound yeah. moment. And so that's kind of where I found kind of um brought in that story. I was like that was a profound, incredible encounter. Uh, so let's let's try and bring some awe and wonder to this experience so we don't forget the significance of this moment. so yeah,
0: I, I really did think that that was a great illustration yeah. to, to do exactly what you just said. Yeah. like, to even bring scripture alive like so here's a different experience that you could almost what would it be like in christian shoes all right now let's reimagine what it was like to be in the disciples shoes yeah like let's re kind of look at this with a different sense of wonder yeah and awe. Um, because i thought too like
1: they were following this guy for years right and it was after they were following him for years that they get this this mountaintop experience, this yeah. moment with Jesus, right? And I felt like it was the same way. I've been following these artists for years and it's after I was following them that they, you know, I had this experience with them. So I just thought a couple yeah, parallels.
0: Just, so this is where I'm gonna deviate a little <laughs> bit, do, but we're gonna do. come back. So Christian I was a youth pastor, as Christian was here yeah. in the youth ministry, and I remember back in two thousand six and I remember <laughs> like the fan gear and I don't I don't is it wow. fanboy like it's a merch. It's what, what would fan be the, boy. like yeah. all I know is fangirl, but that's not the yeah term of a a boy. so, So fan I just remember your entire family love we, we had a problem man. Yeah, yeah
1: we would go often we went with some master's commission students yeah. like we would yeah. go to concerts pretty regularly yeah uh and it was a really big deal in the Hesling to the point
0: household. that i thought that they were becoming bffs yeah, like that, yeah, that, yeah, yeah when i thought of it i was like yeah they that's just the hessling family and yep. that's this just what they super do for fans yeah, yeah. so so it was pretty cool when yeah. you were in school to i think i saw it on facebook or something a i was like back, yeah. oh man that's pretty cool and then yeah. i did think is it because they have some super relationship maybe yeah, I don't yeah. know Hopefully, one day. but uh <laughs> but then when he called you on stage and he's like this is my new friend I was like or
1: old stalker yeah, yeah maybe too. I do follow them a lot so. no
0: but <laughs> it's a it's a really cool video it's a really cool illustration to kind of talk through that so um you did and this is sorry if this is blown up your spot a little bit you said you got a, another chance to play with them do you I want, did do you yeah, go into so,
1: that? yeah uh, I'll mention that it's not as glorious as the first moment right it never is um, but I, I got to. I brought the same sign that I brought to church on Sunday to another concert in Nashville about a year and a half, two years later. So I think it was probably two years later.
0: Two thousand eighteen. Two thousand
1: eighteen. Yeah. And so it was okay. August of two thousand eighteen. They were playing in Nashville. And I was like, Jess, can I bring the sign? She's like, no, you shouldn't. Just leave it home this time, right? I was like, no, I got to bring it. So I brought the sign, uh, and I did the same exact thing. And that second time, I really botched it. Like, it was so, so you, bad. You didn't
0: want to shoot. Was there a video of that one? Or there is a video of that one,
1: it? but we're not going to play that. But, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and that's, the, that's what we, uh, you know, I was talking about um, when we enter a community, like, uh, we have to know it's not going to be perfect, right? And yeah. I think that's kind of the, the bridge that I built between the two stories is um, when they first called me up, I was terrified, right? Yeah. Terrified at the prospect of playing with my favorite band because I can screw things up, and I was afraid to screw things up. And I think that's like the same invitation that Christ gives us to invite yeah. us into community vulnerable community and I think a lot of times we kind of pump the brakes and say nope not doing it I'm terrified can't do that can't be vulnerable and do that stuff right Um, and so uh, yeah but I think a lot of times and I don't know if I'm jumping the gun but I think we have to weigh the risk and the reward Mm -hmm. and I think a lot of times we weigh the risk without ever thinking oh the reward could be so much greater than the Mm -hmm. risk and I'm glad I went on stage and tried it even though I screwed it up because it's just a really cool experience um, even though there's a bit of risk there and so So yeah, so I did do it a second time in Nashville. And Nashville's scarier to screw up on guitar because Nashville's the city of music. And so there's a ton of musicians. And so when you screw up, like, they'll know. Like, I can screw up in front of some people who don't know music a lot, and they're like, oh, it still sounds good. But in Nashville, like, that's that's a, a, it's a deal breaker for some people, so <laughs> anyway.
0: Well, thanks for sharing that. Yeah, I, yeah. I really do think it's a good story. And Absolutely. and again, that that tie-in of going, this is what Christ does. He invites us in. Yeah. And I think you're so right. That risk versus reward of yeah. going, man, if, if I hadn't stepped into that, like, even in our relationship with Christ, what would I have missed that God wanted to yeah, do? Yeah. And that's that's pretty exciting. Yeah, um, that. I do want to jump into kind of the scripture and, and kind of dive into that. Yeah. Like I said, we do have a couple um, questions, and I'll, I'll try and bring those up as we kind of come up to, to the specific verses. But starting in, again, we were in Luke 9, starting yeah. in verse 28. It says, about eight days after uh, uh, after these sayings, he uh, took with him Peter and John and James. And so this is right after he says, you know, uh, pick up your cross, deny yourself. Mm-hmm. And then he also foretells of his his crucifixion that's about to happen, right? Yeah. Like it, he's foretelling like that he's going to die um, uh, and he's, the father would be glorified in that. But I tell you these things in 27, some standing here will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. Then eight days later, so it's very specific, like yeah. a week and a day Goes by. It says Mm -hmm. Peter, James, and John went up with him to pray, and as he was praying, went up or um, went up on the mountain to Mm -hmm. pray. You had talked about this mountain, and you believe that it was Mount um, uh, Mount
1: uh, Herman. Herman is what it's called. Yeah, 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 yeah,
0: yeah. So. Um, talk about the significance. Like, I guess my question in that is that I think you listed that is about 9,000 feet above yeah, sea level. Yeah. What was, was that high for them? Cause I, I know that when I'm thinking through Jerusalem, like it's a higher elevation than yeah. normal, but how, I guess what's the significance of that height in comparison to where they're at? Yeah. I think if you know.
1: Yeah, so that's a great question. I didn't study like too much about that, but I guess I was thinking of like uh, times when I I lived in Colorado for a few months one summer, okay. and the 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 bigger peaks and uh, most of the peaks are about thirteen thousand feet mm-hmm. in Colorado. They call them 13ers. It's not a real word, but 13ers. So like you're climbing a 13er. That's Is that like
0: a teenager that's 13ers? 13 It might be.
1: Um, and so I thought like 13,000 foot mountains are pretty tall. Like there's some point where like the, the trees and stuff stop growing because it's so high up. And okay. out, the oxygen's thin, right? Um, and so I thought, you know, 9,000 feet isn't 13 feet. 13,000 feet, but 9,000 feet is still pretty high, yeah. and, and that's a good question in terms of like, you know, uh, is that sea level, or is that just the height of the mountain? I think, if I'm understanding it correctly, I think that's the height of the mountain from the base of the mountain, right? That's, okay. I think, how they count them in Colorado as well. Okay. Um, and so, um, 9,000 feet is pretty significant. It's yeah. like interesting, because like, I mentioned this on Sunday, would the disciples be excited to like have an invitation to hike this mountain to pray? Like, yeah. gosh, Jesus, can't we just pray down here? Do we have to hike this mountain, right? But, you know, Jesus is always up to something, even if we don't understand it. And it's always a good idea to follow him because uh, had they not followed him, they may not have experienced him in this way. And so Mount Hermon, uh, I mentioned there's some debate uh, between which mountain it is, right? The scripture doesn't explicitly say, yeah. but what uh, a lot of scholars do is they understand, okay, where were the disciples Um, before and after this mountain experience and uh, would it make sense for them to be at this mountain or this other mountain? So most scholars say they suspect it's Mount Hermon due to where they were beforehand in Galilee doing ministry. This one was just a bit more accessible um, and kind of central to where they were in the story, right? And so, um, yeah, Mount Hermon, significant location, 9,000 feet up, big hike and jesus is like hey let's go up and pray right yeah. so uh,
0: i i can't help but wonder what that would look like so I know. growing up i was close to new hampshire where there's a mountain called mount monadnock
1: monadnock whatever That's whatever word that is say.
0: um but it, i think it was like i think when i was a kid and i don't know if things change or whatever it was like one of the top 5 like most climbed mountains in the world yeah um and uh, it was like an ordeal like so you would plan you would get to the summit you would like hike all morning up you'd get some to the summit and yeah. then you would eat lunch and then you kind of start your way down yeah i wonder what it was like for the disciples as like are they preparing for that yeah. like how long is this journey 9,000 feet that's pretty significant like yeah. and then what is the terrain actually like because it's yeah. probably not all just like pretty little paths yeah 9,000 feet up in the air yeah but i wonder what that journey was like like yeah. to the point where you even say when when they were tired like yeah they
1: Makes sense. I'd be I just tired climbed the mountain, right? yeah, so yeah.
0: like there was never a time that I went up Mount Manadnock and was like, "Whoa, I got this!" I have all the energy like, in the bring world. Bring it. Right? What, where's yeah. the next mountain? Yeah. Like it was never, never like that. Yeah, so, yeah. so I think it's interesting. So uh, let's continue reading. It so so um, verse twenty nine it says, I "Went up to the mountain and prayed." That's twenty eight, and then twenty nine. As he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered, and his clothing became dazzling white. I'll continue on. And behold, two men. We're talking with him, Moses and Elijah, and we'll maybe pause there. So, yeah. so Jesus begins to pray. We can see in the next verse in thirty-one, um, or thirty. Let me see where it is. We accomplish uh, thirty-two. Uh, says now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep. So, so what we see is that Jesus starts praying. He's talking then with Elijah and Moses, yeah. and his face shines, he becomes dazzling white. Like it's like, poof, yeah. here's sparkly Jesus. Yeah, yeah. Right? Like, <laughs> I like that, poof. <laughs> I, I love, I wanted to hear, and I feel like I, it was a thought that I had as you were communicating. Yeah. But like, wh- I guess my mind goes to why? Like, why yeah. do you think this happens? Like this transfiguration is, is what this passage is yeah. referring to. But I've always been curious as to, almost like what was the significance of it in the sense like because i get that here's these disciples that Mm -hmm. got this incredible incredible privilege but man i wonder what god was doing and i don't think i'm not looking for you to answer that i mean if you want to give it a shot go go for it but but i've just always wondered like man what did this accomplish both for jesus and for the disciples like in my mind, I have a hard time wrestling with, did Jesus actually need advice from Moses and Elijah yeah. to, for about going to the cross? Like, yeah. I, cause I don't think that's it. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I just uh, want to turn that yeah. over. Like the, here's this crazy, incredible poof, sparkly Jesus yeah. is on the scene. Like, I don't know any thoughts or anything you want yeah. to go so deeper Yeah. So there's into? a lot,
1: a lot of thoughts that I have about that. Um, and so, uh, you always, I always try to ask so many questions of the text. And yeah. That's what we're doing, right? Like, why these two individuals? Why a mountaintop? Why is his face lighting up, right? Yeah. And we have to be comfortable and we can't get all the answers. It's just a part of what it means to be students of the scriptures, right? Is yeah. we're not going to be able to answer it all. And that's okay, right? Um, that's where faith kind of comes in. Um, but what... Uh, sorry, I, of... just,
0: I just... Mags, thanks for joining us. She yeah. just posted, she said, I just climbed my steps and I'm winded. Dude, so. oh yeah i've been there too i
1: feel that all the time i'm only 27 and i'm just always tired but uh yeah so there's a lot of a lot of things happening in this moment and i think we it benefits us to figure out what's happening in the passage before and after right so we can get context here and so i'm gonna start with moses and elijah these two guys were popular in the jewish tradition most anyone in the jewish tradition would know who moses and elijah is because moses brought the law And that law shaped the culture of Judaism for hundreds and thousands of years, right? And so Moses would have been a very popular um, guy in the Jewish tradition. And then we have Elijah, who's also really significant. He's one of the major prophets in the Jewish tradition. And so people would know who Elijah is, right? Uh, And both of these guys have been gone, right? Uh, Moses died, and Elijah was taken up to heaven in a chariot. And so the fact that they're there uh, is significant because they're usually not on earth anymore they've not been on earth for a while they've been kind of these historical figures in the Jewish tradition and so um and so that's really important too because if you look at the passage that Josh talked through a couple weeks ago um Peter is asked who do the people say that I am like yeah. who, who, who do they think I am right and Peter says well some say you're Elijah right um, so in this moment, Jesus is making it uh, abundantly clear that he is not Elijah, right? He is not, uh, he's not this prophet. He's something different and better than this prophet, right? Uh, and some people, I can't remember, and I don't want to read into the text. I can't remember if Peter even said, some say you're Moses. Um, but, uh, yeah, I what, believe that they did. Did they? I couldn't remember. Um, but what's happening is they're comparing Jesus. They think he's another one of these, like, greats. The, another one of these, um, real, uh, you know, prominent figures. Um, but what Jesus is trying to do in this moment is make it abundantly clear that he's actually not one of these guys. He is actually far greater than these guys. And so that's what uh, what happens then is we we see his face start to glow uh, and we see his clothes start to change. Like I hope that if we ever encountered someone or something where that happened, that that would shock us. Uh, that we wouldn't be like, oh, you know no big deal, like Ben's face is glowing and his clothes are shining, right? Um, Hopefully that would shock us and I think that's what the effect that it had on these disciples. And so, um, did you find it that- Yeah, it did
0: not say mention Moses, it did not.
1: So, but what they're doing is comparing him to a great and Jesus is saying like, I see what you're doing. I see some people compare me to, you know, this, this, um, uh, these, these, prominent figures in the jewish tradition but let me just make it clear that i'm actually distinct from these uh these beings these individuals right and i think one way that we get that is through the lighting of the face his face shone like the sun and his clothing glowed up and i thought it was very fascinating because uh and i i always try and like i let this scripture just say what it's saying and i don't want to ever try and read into it but if you look at the story of like moses the last time one of the last times he was on a mountain uh, or not one of the last times, but a time that he was on the mountain getting the law, he saw God and his yeah. face lit up because he saw God. Like.
0: And I want you to continue that yeah. thought, but you had talked about earlier how mountains were significant places, too. Yeah,
1: yeah, so uh, yeah, I'll, I'll mention that. Mountains were significant places where a lot of times in the Jewish tradition, when someone was on a mountain, something was about to happen. They were going to encounter God in some way. And we see that in both the stories of Moses and Elijah before this moment, which is really interesting that here we are, are on a mountaintop again, and Jesus is inviting Peter, James, and John along for the experience, right? And so they would have, I'm sure Peter, James, and John would have known the stories um, and these experiences that Moses and Elijah had, because Moses went on a mountain before Mount Sinai to get the 10 Commandments for Israel, right? Everyone would have known of this moment. Uh, and he got to see God's back, and after he saw God's back, God's presence was so significant and powerful that Moses' face actually started to glow, which is significant. I I, I don't think we're supposed to divorce these two stories. I think we're supposed to see the similarity here of Jesus' face is glowing, but Moses also had his face glow at one point. And then if you look at Elijah's history, his story, he was on a mountaintop before, because God said, Hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna be there, I'm gonna encounter you at the mountaintop, go to the top of the mountain. So he climbed to the top of the mountain, and he encountered God, and God whispered, and and Elijah, maybe out of great fear or something, he just covered his face, right? He just totally, maybe he was afraid to encounter God. I don't know what it is, right? But he covered his face entirely, and so there's no mention of Elijah's face glowing up. Um, But here in this moment, right, we're, we're remembering that Jesus is trying to communicate to the disciples, I'm not Elijah, and I'm not Moses. I'm something much greater, much more important. And so what happens is Jesus is in the middle of praying, Um, Before God even shows up, right, we'll get to that in a few, Um, God shows up in a cloud. But before God even shows up in a cloud, Jesus starts to transfigure. His face starts to shine like the sun and his clothing glows. And so I mentioned there's one of two reasons why that could be the case. Maybe he ate something really weird for dinner, right? I don't know. I don't think that's ever happened to anybody before. Yeah, so that's (laughs) probably not it, right? It was more of a joke, right? Um... (laughs) That's probably not it, so it could only mean the second thing that Jesus must be God, right? Mm-hmm. He doesn't need to, uh, he doesn't have to encounter God for his face to glow because guess what? He is God, and it's interesting because when the disciples wake up, they don't notice the glory of Moses and Elijah because it said they appeared in glory. Yeah. They notice these two men, like just these guys, and then they notice this guy, Jesus, right? His—they notice his glory, the weight of his presence, right? And so I think all of these things, if you take into account who Moses and Elijah are, if you take into account the lighting of the face, the fact that they're on a mountaintop. I think all of these things collectively reinforce this idea that Jesus is not another prophet. Jesus is not just a law giver. No, he is the Messiah. He is the Son of God here to redeem and restore a really broken... And messy world, and so it's a pretty yeah. profound moment. And again, let's not lose our awe and wonder. Uh, you know, I'm sure if we were all there on the mountaintop, we would have been dumbfounded too, and maybe we would have said something stupid like Peter did, right? And so, I think it's just, um, yeah, a lot happening here. So, hope yeah, I, you personally. just
0: answered this question, yeah, yeah, yeah. but I, I just wanted to bring it up because I appreciate it. Um, kind of along the, the same thing, why the questions of why. Like, I think that we should be a student of scripture, yeah, yeah, yeah. and um, this person says, Why Moses, why Elijah, and then talks about how in their study Bible kind of it it talks about how, um, you know, the Old Testament was delivered uh, by Moses Mm -hmm. and Elijah was a representative of the prophets and they're talking through that. And so their question was, is, was there anything more to answer? And I think you've already done that.
1: Yeah. And I'd say, you know, they didn't have the New Testament when the story was happening, right? They're not flipping through the book of Luke reading about what's happening. The the only thing they had at that time was most of the the manuscripts of the Old Testament. And so they would have been, and they were... I would say they're much better students of it than maybe a lot of people are today. Um, Cause that's all they had and the tradition then was to be, just to let it live through you, just to study it religiously. Like, you know, they would go to the temple just to read it out loud and hear it and stuff. And so they would have been familiar with these two prominent figures. Um, uh, which makes it all the more important and so I appreciate that question because it does highlight uh, yeah these are stories of the Old Testament which they would have um, would have most likely had access to at the temple and the yeah. public readings and stuff so
0: so i want to continue on there's another question but I, I think we'll get a, maybe a little bit further into yeah. the text and then get to that um, and so, verse. I'll just take it again from verse thirty. So nine, verse thirty. It says, "And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah." Mm-hmm. Verse thirty-one continues. That's why I think it's important. It says, "Who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure." Mm-hmm. Um, and you had even talked about that. You said that that was the same word for Exodus, right? Like, yeah,
1: yeah. The Greek word was exodon, which means exit or um, or Exodus, which w- that should bring to mind the story of the Israelites and their Exodus from. Egypt. They were delivered from that, right? Um, and so, uh, in some of the things that I was studying, it talked about, um, it wasn't just a because dep- the, let me double check here. The scripture, the passage says, on which he was, uh, it says, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Right, and so, right. it's talking about not departing to Jerusalem. There's going to be a departure that's happening at Jerusalem right and so a lot of the notes and things that I said uh, or that I was studying were saying that hey this is actually a reference to his departing his body like he's going to die which is a really really significant moment and if the disciples overheard that conversation they'd be concerned maybe in like thinking to themselves oh wait wait Jesus is dying even though he told them eight days earlier, right? Um, and so now he's sharing in this, what's probably a really vulnerable topic with uh, with Moses and Elijah. And the way, I actually forgot to mention this on Sunday, um, but imagine, like, imagine you have someone in your family who has cancer, right? Um, they're not gonna talk with everybody about the treatment options. Yeah. They're not gonna invite everybody into that sacred space to say, hey, this is what we're doing for treatment. This is, you know, this is what the prospects look like. No, like you only have that conversation with some, people you're willing to be vulnerable with and people that you're willing to invite in the inner circle. So what is happening here is uh, Jesus is talking with Moses and Elijah about his death, right? It's a very vulnerable topic and we see the pain of this vulnerability even in the garden a few days later when Peter, James and John fall asleep again, right? Uh, they didn't have to hike up a mountain that time. They were just sleeping <laughs> in the garden, right? And so They're um, still
0: tired from the mountain.
1: Yeah, maybe. They're still exhausted. They're weak, guys. Uh, <laughs> and so um, so we see this vulnerability of talking about his upcoming death, right? That's a really difficult topic and I think a lot of times when we read it and we're like, oh yeah, like Jesus knew he came to die. Like that's that was the plan but you know he's also fully human he feels the pain and the anxiety and the weight of that moment when yeah. he is journeying towards the cross and we see that best exemplified in the garden but we're also seeing it perhaps a little bit here when he's inviting Moses and, and Elijah into this conversation and letting these disciples kind of witness it so very intimate vulnerable conversation that he's having uh, and it's not by accident or you know they're not just trying to shoot the breeze and be like oh what do you want to talk <laughs> about right I think it's, he's intentionally modeling for us here I'm um, just kind of vulnerable community and what that looks like. So.
0: Yeah, I'd love to see like I again I'm I can't help but think if you know the way that it's it's read in scripture it says to talk about his departure. Mm-hmm. So in my mind, my mind just goes, so was Jesus asking them what it was like to die? Yeah. But that only applies to Moses cuz Moses died but yeah. Elijah did not. Yeah, yeah. So even then it's like it just messes with my mind and I just I think it's good to have a ton of thoughts and and it yeah. doesn't mean that we get the the answers yeah, to yeah. It, but.
1: and uh, i think it's interesting too because like there's a reason why like uh luke is very intentional with what he's yeah. writing so there's a reason why he's including this yeah and there could have been more to the conversation that he just is not disclosing and yeah that's okay he, he's the author of the text and god's still going to use it like yeah. god is using it right and so just
0: something to think about and so continuing on this is where i love and this is part of the reason why i love peter because peter <laughs> I feel like Peter is like me. Sometimes he, he like just goes ahead and he's not thinking or he, he's just kind of full of action, it seems like. Yeah. He's like, yeah. he acts and then it's like, oh, wait a minute, maybe I, yeah. I shouldn't have done that. Like, or, so <laughs> verse 32 is where this pops up. It says, now Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep. Well, when they beca- uh, but uh, when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said, "Jesus, Master, it is good that we are here." Like that, like is he telling, here, yeah. telling Jesus that, or is that? Thanks for like, inviting us, Jesus. He's like Jesus, it's good we're here. Yeah. We can do stuff. We can right? help you. Like, and then he says, "It's good that we're here. Um, let us make three tents: one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah." Not knowing what he said, and yeah. we'll just pause right there. I love this That's because. Great. Like, it's easy for us outside of the moment to look at it and go, man, that Peter's so silly. What a silly guy. But Peter's like, when I read it, it's like Peter's going, No, it's good for us to be here. We can be the manual labor. We'll build the shelters. You guys just hang out. So even it, maybe you could argue that it seems like he's looking to serve. But I know that you talked about kind of that. And maybe if you want to bring back up that risk versus reward. um, I'm not sure if this is where you want to do that or not. But any other thoughts in this as as we see (laughs) Peter just kind of go for it and then go, uh, I don't know what I'm talking about. Yeah,
1: I do love Peter. And I love that all the... um, all of the writers of the scriptures included a lot of his fumbles and <laughs> screw-ups because honestly like it reminds us like you know Christians aren't people who are perfect and have it all yeah. together and Peter's a really good example of that he cut off a guy's ear he denied Jesus three times yeah. and he slept he slept uh, here and then screwed up his words and then in the garden he slept again, right? Um, and so it's we should find comfort that, you know, we don't have to be perfect and have it all together, but rather we have a perfect savior who wants to invite us into the, the redemption and restoration process, and that's exactly what we're seeing here. Um, but it's interesting, because it's like, I, I can see the scene unfolding, it says, as the men were parting, and so he's like watching Elijah and Moses going, he's like, wait, 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 stay, 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 I'll build you a tent, you can hang out here, get, we'll, we'll
0: just, you know, sit back and relax and chat, I'd love to chat with you guys, uh, right? How long did he think about that because I don't know. like how long was he sleepy and then yeah. like was it like instantaneous like <laughs> oh wait, let's build tents. Yeah,
1: oh. yeah we could we could help, right? And so uh he's he's inviting them to stay and um you know, it's interesting cuz we may read that comment and be like that's not like that's not bad, right? I mean, yeah. he's just he's offering to build a tent. <laughs> But, you know, in context and with what I've read, it just said, hey, that, that comment in some ways um, wasn't the objective of what was supposed to take place at the mountaintop, right? Jesus wasn't coming up there to bring them to camp out and stay there. <laughs> he was uh, bringing them into this vulnerable moment um, for, what, for the moments to come, which would ultimately mm-hmm. be Jesus' death and resurrection. And so um, some commentaries that I read said, you know, such a comment would have been a little inappropriate because that wasn't you know, the objective of being on the mountaintop. Um, you know maybe Peter and I think we do this sometimes we want to prolong the good times right mm. uh, without um, without coming back to reality uh, and doing the work that needs to be done that God's calling us to mm. and so Peter might be just trying to prolong the good time like this is cool Jesus is lighting up the, these you know these awesome prominent figures are here let's just make this moment last and stay on the mountaintop right um, mm. but uh, even through the conversation of Moses and Elijah and Jesus they identify there's work to be done we have to go to Jerusalem and um, that's where Christ will depart and and be resurrected and so um, so that's why and it's funny because like uh, he said that and he didn't know what he was saying right he's like What? what did I just say? And I think we all have moments like that where we do something we're like, what did I just do, right? Uh, and I, that's okay, right? And, but, and I think Christ still anticipates that, but guess what? He still invited Peter up there anyway yeah. Um, yeah. for that moment. So um, talking about risk versus reward, um, which is a, a good point that you were just mentioned a minute ago. Um, I talked about this a little bit on Sunday. Um, I think, and I'm actually going to speak with some students about this tomorrow night, that, you know, the kingdom of God and participating and God's kingdom isn't risk-free, and like, that's okay. Like I think it's um, it brings us to a spot of vulnerability and trust and faith, and I think there's some ways that we can grow in our faith that we can't grow otherwise. And so here in this moment, um, uh, he's practicing vulnerable community, which is a really difficult thing to do. Um, C.S. Lewis, and I read this quote, you can check it out. Or I'll, I'll reread read the quote actually. Um, I think I have it near the end here. C.S. Lewis has this quote about um, what it means to uh, be vulnerable. Uh, and I would argue that it's really hard to love when we're not willing to be vulnerable because what we're doing when we love something else or love someone else is we're kind of giving them our heart in some ways. We're, um, you know, offering a part of ourselves that we don't just offer anybody. And so uh, the way he says it is this, to love at all is to be vulnerable, which just means susceptible to being hurt or wounded. Love anything and your heart will be wrong and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of it keeping, uh, sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, uh, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in a casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken and it will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. And then he finishes with "to love is to be vulnerable." And there's just so there's this kind of, um, and we do this without anything, right? I think the best example of this vulnerability is like when you love something and it dies, you're heartbroken. You experience grief and pain unlike anything else, right? Um, when you love something and it leaves, or when you love something or someone and they hurt you or that, you know, um, they betray your trust. Like when we are offering ourselves in love, um, that's a a practice of vulnerability because there's a chance it may not end very well. And that's a risk. And so what C.S. Lewis says here is like, if you don't want to do that, you could just lock up your heart. Don't love anyone, don't love anything. Uh, just preoccupy yourself with luxuries and happiness and like all of these things that will never satisfy you, right? And I think we're always tempted to do that a lot. I find myself tempted to do that sometimes, right? Um, but he's saying is that that alternative is not any better. And so right. what we can do is practice love and understand the risk, right? There's there's risk and vulnerability, but goodness, there's also great reward and vulnerability. And I think some of you who've been at the CLC, and maybe some who are um, you know, looking from the outside in or considering joining the church, um, you, you've maybe experienced that to a degree where you've had community, where you feel like you can be open about your deepest failures, pains, and shames and then you're still loved. Like no one's sending you away, no one's rejecting you, right? You are open and vulnerable and you are embraced, right? That's what God does for us. God knows, there's a song, I can't remember it. Oh yeah, the song lyric goes, you know the depths of my heart and you love me the same. I can't even remember the name of it, but. Um, Oh, You Are Amazing, God. Uh, Indescribable is the name of the song. And the
0: the lyric says... It's a pretty good recall.
1: Yeah, yeah, sorry. I (laughs) I was singing it in my head as we were going. Um, You know the depths of my heart, and you love me the same. That's that's how Christ, uh, that's how God sees us. He knows the depths of our heart. He wants to redeem and restore us, and he still loves us. It doesn't change us, right? And what he's calling is the church to do the same. Love God and love others. And so what does that look like? It's knowing the depths of each other's hearts and loving each other the same. And just uh, anticipating and and looking for God's redemptive and restorative work in our lives, right? And that's what the church community about is about. And God's modeling that on this mountaintop where he's inviting them into this moment of vulnerability. Uh, and you know, even when Peter screws it up and ruins the moment, he still loves them the same, right? I talked about at the end of my playing the song, like I, I totally screwed up the chorus when I played on stage, and I—the only thing I said, like when the song ended, I turned to John, the lead singer, and I was like, "I'm so sorry that I screwed that up. Like, I'm so sorry," and he like could care less, like he did not care at all. Um, he just, I guess, really appreciated having someone up there. I don't know, right? Um, but it's this <laughs> moment where sometimes we screw up, and God knows our heart, right? Um, sometimes we we have these moments where we just fall short because um, we're imperfect people, uh, and God still loves us the same, and is inviting us back in um, to be redeemed and restored constantly. So, um, I can't remember what uh, question I was answering there, but (laughs) uh, it's a long-winded way to say, uh, just to kind of highlight just kind of the risk and the reward. The reward Mm -hmm. is so far greater than the risk. I'm sure we'll look back a hundred years from now and say, man, I'm really glad I took some of those risks uh, because the reward and what I got out of it was well worth the risk. And even scripture says like sometimes, you know, sometimes the suffering and the pain we endure. Is well worth the risk or well worth the reward that is to come and so um, I always like to say to myself and even my students the best is yet to come like that's as Christians that's what we believe that the best is before us Um, and we can even experience a lot of that best right now even today Um, and so yeah
0: yeah, so I continue on. Thank you. Yeah. Um, 34 says this. Uh, so Peter just like blurts out kind of what he's thinking. Yeah, Yeah. Um, 34 says this. As he was saying these things, a cloud came over and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as, as they entered the cloud. Mm-hmm. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my son, my chosen one. Mm-hmm. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. Um, And then, and they kept silent and told no one in the days anything of what they had seen. So, so here now is kind of the entrance, God's entrance into the scene. And again, like I can't help but think of what the emotions. And what that was like I think you use the word whiplash yeah on, like with the disciples because they like shock and amazement yeah. and glory yeah. and then fear yeah. like yeah. oh, oh no happening? like this holy fear like as yeah. as this cloud kind of rolls over them yeah. like oh, don't move it was <laughs> a
1: scary cloud apparently like yeah I mean usually if it's a normal cloud you probably wouldn't be too concerned but maybe this one appeared out of nowhere and it's just massive and dark and scary but I don't, I don't know, know if, yeah um, yeah, it's a really interesting moment because, like, you know, I think even before the cloud, this would have been enough, right, to yeah. solidify. Like, Jesus is glowing, and, you know, and, and they noticed him before they really, really noticed M- Moses and Elijah. Like, that would have been enough uh, to kind of say, yeah, this is the Son of God. There's something different yeah. about this guy, what right? What
0: a crazy day. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: What a great day. But then, you know... God uh, just maybe wants to make it abundantly clear, yeah. and just like you know with Moses, uh, God appears in the form of a cloud, right, on this mountaintop, which is where both Moses and Elijah had experienced God before, and so now Peter, James, and John get to experience God on mm. the mountaintop in this way, and so um, so they hopefully know by this point in time, like, okay, Jesus is different, but then just to just to assure them, uh, just to provide abundant clarification. Uh, God decides to come on the scene and offer verbal confirmation to accompany the spectacle that they had just seen. And so he says, uh, you know, this is my son, my chosen one, listen to him. Because what what have the disciples uh, been doing? They've been listening to Moses and Elijah for a Mm -hmm. very long time, right? That's not bad. God's not saying to ignore Moses and Elijah now. But now he's saying, hey, this is my son listen to him. You've listened to Moses. That's awesome. You've listened to Elijah. That's great. But now you need to listen to my son. And a lot of times, actually, Jesus' teachings, um, uh, they kind of uh, complement or reinforce, so they um, pull together everything yeah. before. So this isn't like a throw away the Old Testament, that's not what's happening, but it more um, uh, upholds, um, yeah, kind refolds. of upholds or reinforces the Old Testament and helps us see it in a new way. And so um, G- God's saying, This is my son, listen to him. And so by this point in time, and then the cloud, it, what does it say? It disappears. Let me make sure I'm not. When the
0: voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone.
1: Yeah, yeah, and so the voice ends, and then like it's just Jesus right there on the mountaintop. They're like, "Hey guys, you good? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) How you doing? In fact, actually, there is a in one of I think it's Matthew's account where they like fell down. Like they're just like (laughs) they're just like shocked and they're knocked over. And Jesus actually says, like, don't be afraid. Like, don't mm. be afraid. And so it's really cool to read the the different versions of the stories next to each other just to see how they complement each other and stuff. So I'm um, Jesus is saying, like, don't be afraid, right? They're left with all it is that they yeah. need and uh, Jesus is everything they need because who is Jesus? He's not Moses, he's not Elijah, he's God, right? And so they can have assurance of um, the decision they've made to say, I'm in. Like when mm. Jesus first called them, they can have total assurance uh, that they've made the right call, that they left their jobs, left, you know, all of these things behind to follow Christ, um, they can have all the more assurance now and say, I'm in, right? I was in before, yeah. but after this spectacle in this mountaintop, I am all in, right? And so, um, and then Jesus shows them how to be all in, which is practicing this vulnerable community.
0: What I find amazing, and, and I feel like, again, I have more questions about this passage than yeah. answers, yeah. and I feel like it just makes me question even Every time I listen to it, every time I, I've spoken on this, like every time I hear it, it leaves more questions. Yeah. And the question is probably still, the big one is, is okay. why? And what I feel like what you see is that God spoke. I don't think it was for the benefit of, of Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. it wasn't for the benefit of Moses or yeah. Elijah, but it was for the benefit of James, John, and Peter. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what's amazing to just consider. Like, yeah. I, I just I, I don't even want to try and pull application I think that obviously what you can see in that yeah. is that God cares for these three and and they don't say anything until after he's mm-hmm. gone so it's it almost appears as if the reason why this is done is for those three men yeah right so like
1: give them assurance right yeah and then he tells them it's um, ca- crazy it's interesting because they, they kept silent until no one yeah. of what they happened like for me, right after the concert, I was in the car posting stuff. Like I wasn't keeping silent about it. I was like, "Y'all check out this photo!" Like I was just like on cloud nine for a while, right? Um, it's interesting. So we're like, "Why would they keep silent about this?" Right? Yeah. Um, and you know, that's an answer we may not get a ton of clarity on. But yep. what we do, what we can understand, is in in Matthew's account, we actually have Jesus inviting them, "Hey." Don't tell anyone about this moment. Yeah. Which, if they realize Jesus is God in that moment, I probably wouldn't want to disobey Jesus. <laughs> like, I probably want to be like, yes, sir. Like, absolutely. I will not tell anyone about this moment. Um, but he says, don't tell anyone about this moment until my resurrection, which implies that. You need to tell people about this moment eventually, mm. just not at this time, right? And so mm. this moment is almost explicitly for Peter, James, and John, yeah. um, which these three individuals would be very prominent figures in the start of this church, mm-hmm. right? the start of this movement, which we today are now um, participants and recipients of, right? Mm. Uh, and so that's a significant deal. And so um, it's very interesting that, yeah. So we may not answer the question like, so why did Jesus say that? like? know like I'm not too sure like why wouldn't he want to get the movement a bit more momentum before he died right I'm not too sure maybe we can't answer that maybe with further study we can get some clarity there but um yeah but it's interesting so this whole moment was for these three disciples maybe to provide clarity and to reinforce like hey you're doing the right thing Jesus is God big deal right um this is (laughs) this is you've been waiting for, this is who yeah. Moses and Elijah were pointing to. And now yeah. you three get to encounter this God in the first way, in this way, right? Um, and then they would eventually help, uh, you know, start and reinforce and build the church, which is a big deal. So, yeah. Um, yeah, so he's trying to convince them to be all in, right? Luke is always writing this, this text is to provide certainty. And so can't get any more certainty than this moment about who Jesus is. And then Jesus shows them what it looks like um, to, to be... Uh, Practicers of the faith, right? To, um, to, um, he models for them what they will soon carry on post-resurrection, right? Which, which is this vulnerable community, which, kind as we talked about earlier, is contagious relationships. There's, um, there's nothing more attractive than. Um, A place and a setting to know that you can be fully known mess and all and to be loved the same Because I think most things that people do in life is to either protect them from the pain of rejection right to protect themselves from the pain of rejection or to fight for people's acceptance right and I think most things that we do nowadays is for one of those things to protect ourselves from rejection or to fight for someone's acceptance Uh, and here in this moment Jesus is saying hey this is a community where all are accepted. We're welcoming people uh, into what God is doing. Um, we're, uh, we're participating in kingdom living, and what is required is vulnerable community. So yeah,
0: Yeah. And the two significant observations that you had said and I'll just mention, and then I want to try and ask this question. We've got a few more minutes left. Yeah, yeah. Um, So the two significant observations, one is that Jesus is the son of God, like it's pretty significant, pretty easy to see, and then the second one you said what does it mean to be all in, Mm -hmm. and that was where we kind of came back to where we started, vulnerable community, contagious relationships, like I think that that's really important, and the two practical steps that you kind of gave were kind of inviting people in to be a part of a small group, Mm -hmm. like Uh, You know, Josh, uh, our senior pastor, has said this numerous times, you know, sometimes we've had bad experiences in that, and the reality is is his, his expression, and maybe he stole it from somewhere else, but I'll just credit it to him, is that, you know, you have bad haircuts sometimes too. It doesn't mean that you stop getting your haircut. It just yeah. means you might not go to that same place. Yeah. And so the invitation to kind of be a part of a community group, um, to get connected, to kind of be involved, and then also the the connection to um, communion, to be yeah. engaged in that. Is there anything yeah. more that you want to say on those things before we kind yeah. of try and get to the last question?
1: Yeah, I just think like communion is just another example of Jesus like practicing like vulnerable community. Yeah. So here he is with. Um, with 12 disciples, one of whom's about to leave and just like totally betray Jesus, right? Yeah. And and even with that understanding, Jesus is being vulnerable and is offering himself. Like there's nothing more vulnerable that you can do uh, than like to give yourself, right? Yeah. To give yourself to other people. And in this case, Jesus is making very explicit reference to, hey, I'm about to die. I'm doing this for my people, I'm for the world, right? And so um, it's interesting, because I think I mentioned uh, the same word for communion uh, I think it's they come from the same word in the Greek communion and community, uh, and here Jesus is uh, modeling community on the mountaintop, but even at this last supper this table, he's a modeling vulnerable community, offering himself to um, to his disciples in the form of the bread and the wine, right? And so I just think that's cool because again, everything Jesus does uh, is so intentional, uh, and the fact that these these authors, Luke, decided to include this moment, in the scripture is really significant too. That should that should um, catch our attention, right? And so, um, yeah, I just thought it was cool that, you know, this communion, this act of Jesus offering himself to us is just another example of vulnerable community. Uh, And he invites us into that, and he invites us to receive those gifts, right, of the elements, but really of redemption and restoration, right, and salvation and forgiveness. Um, And so he's, even on his last day, right, he's continuing to practice that, to model that to his disciples, some of whom have yet to betray him, some of whom have yet to deny him, right? But he still does that, showing that um, it's not gonna be perfect, right? If it were perfect, maybe they wouldn't have denied him or rejected him, you know, Mm -hmm. all that stuff. Um, But uh, that's a risk, that's part of the risk of being vulnerable is that you'll offer yourself to people uh, and it might not reciprocate as well, right? And so I just think it's interesting uh, Interesting. It was cool that we we're doing communion this weekend that that just yeah. happened um, so we can kind of enter that conversation. But um, it's a really powerful scene where Jesus yeah, is practicing sure. vulnerable community once again. Um, and yeah, so hopefully we can plug into that and lean in ourselves.
0: Yeah. So I've got one last question. Not sure if it's fair to ask it in the last five minutes. Yeah. Um, but it says this, Hi, uh, I love the transformation, its grandeur, uh, grandeur is so alike God. Why do you suppose that we talk so much about turning water into wine, then we, do, then we talk about Jesus' transformational glory? And then there's kind of a second part to that question, it's a little bit longer. It says, um, it's reasonable to assume that the transformation was in, indeed upon Mount Hermon because they were in Caesarea Philippi, the location of Mount Heron. And Mark tells us that Jesus led them up a high mountain. In Mount Hermon uh, Mount Hermon is where uh, Moses defeated King Og, uh, the last remaining giant offspring produced by the sons of men and daughters of men, making the Lord sorry he made man, Genesis chapter 6. First Enoch tells us that Mount Hermon is where the sons of God descended to where they cohabitated with men's Daughters. Now this is kind of, this is probably like a deeper level question. So if you're not following this, thanks so much for joining us. Um, It says cohabited with uh, men's daughters rebelling against God. It was also in Caesarea Philippi that Jesus told his disciples that he would build his church and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. Again, probably on Mount Hermon as this is where Peter confessed Jesus as the Son of God, are all of these coincidences somehow related?
1: Yeah, really good question. Uh, Two questions, I'll answer the first really quickly in terms of like, ah, some people are focusing on the Jesus turning water into wine story over this one. I guess you know uh, it's just like maybe if you watch a movie, some people will resonate with different spots a bit more than others, right? It doesn't make any scene more or less important than the other. It's just like you know, just like people have different um, different things that catch their attention or different ways of observing things. I think the same happens with scripture sometimes. That's why some people are like, man, this story like really hit me in a different way than this other story. And so, um, so yeah, that's a really good thought. Um, I hope that offers some insight there. Um, but in regards to the mountain, yeah, like so, uh, I think there's always significance in this, right? Um, You know, the, the scripture writers include and exclude details on purpose, and so there's a reason why this text is on the page that he's including Mount Hermon. um, Because again, people reading uh, this story would identify this as the same mountain that this took place and this took place. And and so they would kind of draw those parallels. Scholars do it and you know, readers of the scriptures often do that where they say, just like you're doing right here, right? You are connecting the dots saying, hey, this happened here, this happened here, this happened here. So I do think, I don't think it's a coincidence. I think it's intentional. um, And I think we're supposed to kind of draw these understandings of what's happening. Uh, And I think a lot of times Um, I'll say one more thing to that Um, and this is just like an observation or someone taught this to me a while back and it just kind of resonated with me that God is in the business of redeeming broken things, right? He's in the business of taking something that is broken and redeeming it, giving it a new purpose or, you know, whatnot. Um, And uh, we see this most prominently in uh, in Jesus' death and resurrection, uh, God decides to take Rome, Rome's tool for execution—the cross. Right, the cross in ancient times wasn't this cool religious symbol; it was a threat. The cross was uh, the their their version of the electric chair. Right, it's just this tool of execution. So God uh, takes Rome's version, uh, Rome's execution tool, and turns it into a tool of redemption. Right, this tool, this symbol, this figure that now when we look at it, we have and we have assurance that the best is yet to come. And I would say the same is happening even in some ways with this mountain, right? There's a history of maybe some horrible things happening on this mountaintop, maybe some difficult things that were contrary to God's plan. So what does God do? He says, hey, let's go up the same mountain and give it a new purpose. Let's give it a new uh, memory, a new meaning, right? And this is gonna be the mountain where Peter, James, and John encountered God, right? Uh, And hopefully it's the same mountain Uh, you know, that we now have this story where we get hope and encouragement and assurance that God, or Jesus is who he says he is, he's the son of God, he is God, and he's here to make all wrongs right and to um, restore a really, really, really broken and messy world. And so, I think it's just God doing what God does. He takes broken and messy things and redeems it and restores it. And he invites us to do the same. And I think that's what it means to be all in. Hmm. We're saying, hey, I want to be all in. Even though it's messy and perfect and complicated, um, we can still participate in, um, in making wrongs right and bringing restoration and redemption to a world that's desperately needing it. So, um, yeah, I hope that provides some clarity. Really good question, really good observation there too. I think uh, being a good stu- student of the scriptures and identifying those uh, things is really, really awesome. So thanks yeah. for that.
0: Well, that is pretty much all the time that we have for today. So I want to say thank you so much for joining us. Again, we really hope that you're challenged and encouraged by this. Thanks for Christian uh, being a part of this today. As always, if you have questions, we would encourage you to email us over time at clcfamily.church, or you can just simply text us, 610-869-2140. We'd love to hear from you. We love when you help kind of participate and produce uh, this content. So if you have any questions related to the message or just questions that you're maybe wrestling with, we'd love to hear them. So thanks, everyone. Have a great week, and we hope to see you next week. Adios.